Welcome to OVS Orbit, the podcast for open vSwitch users and developers, episode 8. I'm your host, Ben Pfaff. This episode is about Mininet. As part of the open vSwitch community, it's hard not to notice Mininet because its users pop up everywhere. They tend to ask difficult quality of service questions on the OVS mailing lists, and unless you understand where they're coming from, you have no hope of helping them. I'm interviewing Bob Lance and Brian O'Connor. I was talking to Brian for the first time, but Bob and I had the same advisor in grad school, Mendel Rosenblum, who is probably best known as the founder of VMware. Mendel's great, but he's really bad at introducing his grad students to one another, so I had actually been at Stanford for a year or more before someone else introduced me to Bob, and I was really surprised to find out that Mendel was his advisor too. So, we didn't work together in grad school, and I think it's just a coincidence that we both ended up working in SDN. On to the interview. I'm here today in the OnLab, or OnLab, office in Menlo Park talking to two developers, Bob Lance and Brian O'Connor. Bob and Brian both work at OnLab. Do you want to tell us a little about yourselves and, and what you do here? Well, there's two things, two parts of that. What we do as Open Networking Laboratory and what, what I do personally. Uh, so Open Networking Laboratory was conceived as a part of uh, ONRC, the Open Network Research Center, which was presumably a joint venture between um, between Stanford and Berkeley to sort of increase and enable the impact of software-defined networking. It came out of the OpenFlow and uh, previously the, I guess, the uh, Clean Slate Networking Research Program at Stanford and the development of OpenFlow. And, and in particular, there was, there, it seemed like there was this real sort of missing piece that was required uh, on the software side of software-defined networking. And that is sort of, um, you know, high quality open source software defined networking tools. And part of the mission of, of Owen Lab was really to sort of make that happen and do, you know, kind of turn research into a little bit more applied research in the terms of software. Although, as you know, as a system software researcher, system software research basically is writing code anyway. So, um, but the goal is, you know, to write some good quality code, put some effort behind it and make it available to everybody and sort of, you know, make the, help SDN succeed. I kind of joined OnLab for sort of two reasons. One is that I wanted a job where I could keep working on Mininet. Uh, and, you know, various companies I talked to, like Google, they liked Mininet, but they were kind of more interested in doing their own sort of internal systems rather than an open source system that wouldn't be customized to their business practices and would be usable by everybody and freely available. And the same thing applies for, for other, other sort of, you know, traditional companies. So I think there's this really interesting... Um, interesting thing where most companies per se don't necessarily want to invest a huge amount of time and effort in an open source project for the whole industry. But you are sort of a contradiction to that because Open vSwitch is precisely that. So I think it's kind of awesome that first Nicira and then VMware, uh, sort of, sort of, you know, support Open vSwitch, which is something that, you know, really helps VMware's competitors and helps everybody, but, uh, probably helps VMware a lot too. And I, I think there's a, you know, it's, it's a, it's great when companies actually realize that. But in the case of uh, Owen Lab, and also it sort of follows a model a little bit like uh, a little bit like Cable Labs, where uh, industry and perhaps government and other organizations that are interested in making something, you know, that all have all benefit from making something happen, uh, basically contribute to it. And so, besides working on Mininet, I had this idea that I really wanted to. Uh, that we really needed a, a network operating system and not just an in-the-box network operating system like Cisco IOS, but a network operating system that works across multiple, uh, across multiple devices across your whole network. And, uh, that's what I sort of told Owen Lab people when I first joined and we ended up, 
actually doing that, and it's been an ongoing effort to own us the open network operating system. And of course, there there have been many efforts in open flow controllers over the years, but uh, but I think it's this whole idea that of making network operating system is really important. If you look at the early generation controllers, they were mostly kind of wrappers around or protocol libraries. They looked a lot more like drivers than like an operating system. And you know, maybe Onus isn't there yet. So I, I guess uh, my own background is uh, I studied, uh, I did graduate work actually not in networking at all, uh, in uh, complete machine hardware simulation. But then I walked into a lecture one day, <laughs> uh, I think it was the Stanford uh, EE Computer System Seminar, EE 380, which is great. You can check, you can watch it online if you're out there. Um, it's, it's a great seminar. They always have really interesting people. And in this case, it was Nick McKeon of Stanford was giving a talk. Uh, and I don't remember the rest of his talk, I think, but, but I do remember the key thing he said, which was, I think he was talking about clean slate networking and sort of justifying the clean slate project. But the thing that really struck me from it is that he said, he made this really interesting statement that computers are, or sorry, networks are like uh, hardware without an operating system. And I was like, really? <laughs> you know, I mean, operating systems are good. They give you, uh, they give you abstractions. They give you nice APIs. They, um, they give you resource scheduling. They give you, you know, all these beautiful things. That we, and I, as kind of as an operating system person, was really into that. I was like, oh, this is really good, but is it true? And then I, then I went and actually worked at a switch company, uh, Arista Networks, and I found out it was true. Like, how, how could anybody possibly deal with this network hardware without an operating system? It's terrible. So, so I think, uh, you know, what, what Owen Lab, this is just a roundabout way of, of saying, you know, that my original vision for Owen Lab and what I thought they should be doing is actually, you know, related to what Owen Lab is actually largely doing, which is mainly building on us this network operating system, which we hope will make the networking world a better place. And that's my long answer, and I'll, I'll let Brian answer. I think Bob touched on a lot of the interesting points. Um, sort of had a similar realization after the first SDN talk that I, I watched. Um, it just, it seemed like network network protocols, some of the distributed stuff, um, every protocol or RFC you seem to read seemed to be solving the same sorts of problems in different ways. And a frustrating thing was it, it seemed difficult in networking to kind of take best of breed in, in certain areas, best of breed in distributed systems, best of breed in state management, best of breed in failover, and apply that to to new devices and, and new networks. Um, it also seemed difficult to do end-to-end -end resource guarantees and scheduling. Um, and so software by networking became a real topic of interest for me several years ago. Um, I started using Mininet first uh, and then extending it in small ways, building out bigger simulations, and, and ultimately uh, Mininet's what drew me to OnLab. Um, spent uh, probably the better part of a year or two working solely on Mininet and and now most of my time is, is being spent on our, our network operating system OnOS. So there's a much more direct connection between Mininet and OnOS than I than I thought. Do you think of them as related projects? Do you use them together, maybe for testing or, or some other? Projects? Oh yeah. So so I want to tell you a little bit about genesis of, of Mininet, which you haven't necessarily asked, but I'm kind of going to answer it anyway. Which is the idea of like like why does uh, why does Mininet exist? And the reason is so. When you write, when you develop an operating system, this goes relates to to uh, Pinto's teaching operating system as well. Or, you know, when, you, when you're doing any kind of operating system development or software development for that matter, you you need some sort of platform to run your to run your software on. Now, with the traditional like server software, it's easy. You just have a computer or you have a Amazon instance in the cloud or something. It's really easy and cheap to get a platform to run on. Things become more complicated with things like mobile devices, where it turns out well, running on the mobile device is a real pain. Uh, you know, Android, like iPhone is bad enough, it's this tiny little phone, you have to type on it, it's a pain. 
But think about Android, where you have zillions of possible devices you have to run on. You know, how, how can you, you know, so how can you possibly test it on all the different screen sizes of Android devices? You know, at least in Apple devices, there aren't that many. And so there's this real need in the mobile world for a simulator. So you don't have to have a huge, complicated stack of hardware. Well, the same thing's kind of true in the network world. If you want to redesign a piece of the internet, well, guess what? You know, oh, great. I'm going to buy a rack of servers, buy a rack of routers, uh, you know, and all of a sudden I spent this huge amount of money. And with Mininet, I was like, well, look, I know that I want know that networks need uh, need an operating system, but how do I develop this operating system uh, without having a huge stack of hardware? And how do I empower other people? be they students or researchers or professionals or whoever, to do the same kind of, uh, to be able to develop a network operating system and software that runs on the network uh, in a way that doesn't require a huge stack of hardware. And of course, the answer is, the answer is obvious. It's, you know, in the case of iPhone or Android, it's a mobile device simulator. In the case of uh, operating systems, it turns out developing operating systems on hardware is a drag. You have to like reboot it every time. And so it's much more convenient if you run it on, say, a virtual machine monitor, like VMware, or you know, or VirtualBox, or you know, any there's so many of them, or uh, or if you, or possibly a complete machine hardware simulator that's fast enough, which is you know the difference between simulators and emulators really is that one has a notion of kind of strict vir of virtual time, and whereas emulators are just kind of run in real time, usually uh, sync with the real world. Although there's kind of a crossover, and the part of the crossover is uh, kind of related to the research of, uh, with Mininet of how to how to make it more sort of useful for performance as well as just behavioral correctness. But so basically Mininet is the platform <laughs> that I needed in order to write this network operating system. And so that's why Mininet exists uh, largely. That's, that's one part of its origin story. Uh, the other part, of course, is that I was involved in OpenFlow. And in order to do, you know, SDN development, it had the same problem. You know, you need it, you need it, you know, forget, even if it's just driver level or, you know, low level protocol programming, you still need a big stack of hardware. And my, my, my colleague, Giannis, uh, Yakumis from Stanford was in this, these OpenFlow meetings at his laptop. I told the story a lot, but I'll tell it again. It was just, you know, overheating and it sounded like a little dead engine. I'm like, Giannis, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm doing OpenFlow. I'm like, oh my gosh, you must be simulating this huge network on your laptop. He's like, no, no, it's actually a very small network. Uh, it's in fact probably the smallest useful open flow network you can have. I have uh, a switch in a VM, I have two hosts in VMs, and I have a controller in a VM. And so this like, you know, four virtual machines on his laptop, you know, is just grinding it to a halt. And yeah, I mean, and he's, he's running, I don't know if he's running VMware or VirtualBox, uh, let's say it was VirtualBox. But, uh, but regardless, you know, it turned out that, you know, having those four operating system kernels probably wasn't necessary. And at the time I was working at Arista Networks where, uh, where Eric Biederman uh, had developed network namespaces and actually integrated it into the Linux kernel. And at Arista, they use network namespaces for a very interesting application. So network namespaces allow each different sets of interfaces to be connected to different process groups. It's a feature of the Linux kernel. You're familiar with it. Uh, and so what they used it for was to enable uh, devices under test, hardware in the lab, uh, to have all their you know 10 gig optical interfaces uh, connected to a control plane that ran on your laptop. So it's sort of like SDN, you know, separate kind of control and data plane. But basically you could run the network OS, that is to say the in-box network OS, Arista EOS on your laptop and do development, but still be connected to the real hardware and the super convenient. So the, the thing that occurred to me is like, oh gosh, I can make a great network emulator using this. And uh, that's exactly what Mininet is. I didn't know that Arista had developed network namespaces. That's a, a really interesting fact. And I, I sure didn't know that that inspired you to, uh, to, to build Mininet. That's... Uh... 
Yeah, it's, I, it's I, don't, history. I don't actually know the chicken and egg, whether, you know, whether Eric worked there after he developed Network Game Spaces or was hired buyers to because he previously developed Network Game Spaces. I don't know the actual history. You could talk to him or probably look it up on the internet. But the cool thing is that we were both there, right? That, like, you know, I happened to work, be working at Arista and Eric was there and I was like, what is this Network Namespace thing, you know? And Ken Duda said, sort of mentioned that it was an important thing for them. And uh, so once I understood what, what it actually was and how it was part of the you know, Linux container architecture, which is also largely misunderstood by people. Uh, but this whole idea is that yeah, it's the simplest form of Linux container you could possibly have, which is just a process connected to a network, network interface. So that brings me to something that I meant to ask about anyway. So uh, Docker and Rocket and all these container systems, are, are those related to Mininet? Can you use them in kind of a similar uh, way? They're exactly related to Mininet. Well, I'll give my take. Maybe Brian can comment as well. They're all container orchestration systems. That's exactly what they all are. So Linux container architecture is a set of features in the Linux operating system. Uh, and most importantly, namespaces, which give you, uh, you know, network namespaces attached to virtualized network stack, um, user namespaces, virtualized user IDs, um, <clears throat> process namespaces, virtualized PIDs, UTS namespaces, virtualized the host name. They're all these a la carte namespaces. You can use as many as you want. But then this other important feature of Linux, uh, control groups or C groups, pro which basically take the idea of process groups, which were originally created to, uh, basically, in my, my take on it, to conserve sort of computer resources so that when you logged off, it would know which all which processes were part of your login session and would send SIG up to them all. They're part uh, of the job control mechanism, right? Yeah, it's part of the job control mechanism. Essentially, you can, but uh, but most importantly, when you log off, all your jobs get killed, and so that the, they don't keep running on as zombies and, and wasting resources. But basically, that same mechanism is used for to impose all sorts of resource limits in Linux. You can limit uh, memory, you can limit CPU, you can limit certain limit I/O. Uh, you can't, you know, I can imagine a future a future uh, vision where you could limit other resources like bus bandwidth and cache use and all sorts of things like that. It'd be really quite neat. Um, so yeah, they're all container orchestration systems, but the problem with uh, most container orchestration systems, and for that matter, most virtualization systems, is they give you no control over the network. And uh, they don't allow you to, de to determine the network topology. They don't allow you to request what kind of bandwidth, how things are connected, what kind of switches you have, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so they're all sort of, in my opinion, this is a big blind spot uh, by people in the container virtual machine orchestration world that, you know, they don't really think much about the network and they, and well, sort of two reasons. One, they, it's sort of, they're not really thinking about it. It's not sort of in their sort of most, the thing that they're most interested in, and they just sort of think it's there. But that's not entirely their fault. It's not just that they're like ignorant or focusing too much on other stuff that seems more important. Also, historically, the network hasn't been really something they could change. It's just been there, you know, so either they have it or not. And uh, obviously, SDN changes that quite a bit, and software switches change that quite a bit. And uh, we're seeing this, this point where, you know, we're really, we're disaggregating things that were, you know, fully aggregated and unchangeable and changing them into a bunch of small components, which can be programmed and modified at will. And uh, so, so obviously, you know, in that sort of world, um, having a container orchestration system that allows you to specify the network seems like a really great idea. Um, so, you know, obviously, to me, you know, anybody who works on these other systems, it's super easy to add network emulation into your network. Uh, and, uh, of course, that would be more competition for Mininet. Maybe I should discourage people from doing it. Um, but, you know, there are sort of different things. I, I think it's a very sensible idea. I, I'm greatly disappointed at the way, for example, OpenStack handles networking. Like, it just, you know, 
it's not flexible at all. Uh, it kind of gives you what it gives you. It's very, you know, you can't easily do the things, sorts of things you can do with Mininet. I'm not advocating Mininet as a replacement for OpenStack, although it sort of can. It sort of does the same thing. They're both virtualization systems, but, um, but it would be really nice if EC2 and, and uh, OpenStack and uh, Google Cloud allowed me to control the network in a detailed way the way I can with Mininet, I would love it. I've gone to several of the last OpenStack summits, and yeah, everybody complains about networking, but they all complain about different things. What, what do you have in mind? Oh, well, I'd like to, I'd like, um, to control the network topology and bandwidth, and also, um, and also get actually an, an SDN uh, capable, obviously. You know, I, I, want them, I want it to be able to provision, uh, I'd love it to be able to provision um, physical or virtual SDN networks. Uh, Obviously, so that I can bring my own network operating system. I'd like it to, you know, people are trying to integrate Onos and OpenStack, uh, but I think they're more like using it as a means to an end rather than a means to an end where that end is producing a legacy network that fits into, a, a, you know, a legacy IP and Ethernet network that connects to uh, properly to OpenStack, which of course is a valuable thing to do, uh, rather than bringing us forward to this bold new future where you can have you know, a flexible, programmable, reconfigurable, uh, you know, software-defined network that's, that integrates nicely with OpenStack. So that's kind of my, my take on it. But I'm not an expert on OpenStack, so, you know, it's, it's quite possible they have this already, and, and uh, they just didn't have it two years ago when last time, which is like the last time I may have looked at it. An interesting thing, uh, or an interesting trend that I think is, is starting to emerge in, in NFV, uh, which is a highly coupled... Uh, field to, to SDN is uh, minimization. And by that, I mean, uh, at first, we put these network functions in VMs because we got isolation, security, because they may have been written on, on legacy or esoteric kernels, have esoteric requirements for the languages or, or libraries that they needed. And the shift that we're starting to see is people are realizing VMs are a bit too heavy. So the next step is containers, where you maybe don't get to run your own kernel, but you get your own file system, you get, um, you get isolation of your, your network interfaces, you get isolation of the CPU, memory, etc. And I think as, as more and more of these NFV platforms emerge, people will realize that containers are a little bit too heavy, or heavier than they need to be. And uh, one of the, the really interesting things about Mininet, to kind of go back to your previous question, and, and maybe we'll, I'll just retouch on something Bob said, which is this notion of, in, in Mininet, uh, virtualization is a la carte. Uh, whereas with Docker or LXE or, or whatever, or VMs, you, you get what it gives you. Uh, in Mininet, you can say, I need network isolation, I need process isolation, I need file system isolation. Um, but it's up to you to pick what you need, which... Um, is done via a Python API. It requires a little bit more thought, but that degree of customization ultimately allows you to scale to networks that are much, much bigger on a fixed uh, set of hardware. So I think what we'll find is that you know, there are other emerging platforms um, beyond OpenStack that don't necessarily have a focus on VMs. And I know OpenStack's moving into containers and, and some other things, um, but at least from, from our interest here, it's more in, in SDN and NFE. So it sounds like one of the focuses in Mininet is scale, the scale of the network that you're simulating. Uh, how, how big are the networks that, that people want to simulate, and uh, do, they, uh, do they, they tend to be able to do those with, with Mininet effectively? 
So there's an interesting kind of disconnect here, in my opinion. One is that people want to simulate, you know, huge networks are like, give me a network of a million switches. But if you look at, I don't know, the internet, the diameter of the internet is usually less than 64 because that's sort of the number of hops in like at least old versions of Windows, your IPTTL. And so you can't really go more than 64 hops. And so, you know, if you look at a large organization, like, uh, you know, their networks aren't, their networks are large, but they don't have a huge number of switches. And, uh, but they have an interesting number of switches. So, so Giannis's network, where he only had one open flow switch, that was like too small to do anything interesting. Well, no, actually, it's small enough to do a lot of interesting things. And if you look at Giannis's research about, like, with home networks, actually, that's a good model of a home network where you have a, a single, like, access point and you want to control traffic through it. And, and it turns out that that's really useful, actually. So, so actually, a single node network is actually useful. But, uh, you know, and then there's this one, two, infinity, you know, principle in, in computing, right? So if, once you go beyond two, people want an infinite number of switches. Uh, but it turns out that having uh, sort of networks in the kind of hundred type switch range is realistic and also fits well in Mininet. So what Mininet kind of gives you, or, you know, lightweight containers kind of give you, is this kind of one or two order magnitude improvement in scalability uh, over, over, you know, Every switch in a VM, which you know, and of course, the, the way that the way that I do this, of course, is thanks to you. Um, in particular, the fact that you, that uh, OVS is virtualized, that the that you can have multiple OVS virtual switches running on a single kernel data path, and uh, and it actually works great. And so, uh, and you can also use user data paths, have multiple user data paths, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the nice thing is that you know, even the user data paths, they're like you know, you have multiple processes. You can have a lot of processes on your on your Linux box or on your VM. And that gives you a lot of switches. And so, um, so I would say that you can get interesting sized networks in a VM on your laptop, which is really nice. Now, <laughs> once you add Onos, well, Onos's resource requirements increase your resource requirements greatly for a variety of reasons. One is that it's written in Java, uh, so it tends to kind of its memory requirements. Uh, two is that often you want to run an Onus cluster, so that can that also multiplies out your your number of your, your sort of memory and resource requirements. So so kind of one of the things that I'm trying to help people here at OwnLab do is go to a Mininet-based uh, development platform for Onus where you'd be able to run, you know, say a three-node Onus cluster with a hundred-ish switch network on your laptop that starts up in a reasonable amount of time that has you know, realist, it has reasonable performance. Obviously, you don't get something for nothing. Uh, I guess the third origin story of Mininet is I kind of thought back, I'm like, well, think about computers in the, you know, in the 2000s. They're really fast. They're like a thousand times faster or a thousand times larger in almost every dimension except for physical size and weight than, uh, than computers in like the 1990s. But, but people still worked on computers in the 1990s. They were connected to the internet. They, they sent email. They did all sorts of things, right? And so you can take one of your 2010 computers, slice it up into 100 1990s computers, and still do interesting things. You know, have an interesting, and of course it's, you know, it's a distributed system. So there's all sorts of, you know, interesting timing and race conditions and interactions and complexity that can go on. And so, you know, yeah, you don't get something for nothing. Uh, but it's, it's, you can make a network of interesting size. And it's our goal. I mean, I really believe that in order for network operating systems to succeed, students, researchers, software developers, et cetera, need to be able to have a nice development environment that just runs on their laptop. And uh, so that's side one of, of the question. But the other side is like, well, how do we really scale it up? Like my original vision, one of my original visions with Mininet is I wanted to simulate all of Stanford. And uh, the university network at that time had about 25,000 endpoints. 
But then this thing happened, the iPhone and mobile happened, and all of a sudden that sort of doubled, right? So now you have 50,000. But I had this idea, I'm like, well, okay, if we have a gigahertz, gigahertz servers, we can slice them up a thousand ways and get like megahertz servers, you know, that run at like DSL or dial-up kind of speeds. But then with a cluster of them, like in the, in the basement, like 25 of these machines, I could simulate, or in 25 or 50, I could maybe simulate, or a rack of multiprocessors, I could, you know, simulate the entire like university network. So that, that was kind of my vision. Uh, I never really got there, but it, that was the idea. And so I've been working on it for some time, and multiple people have, making distributed mini-net versions that have, that sort of stitch together multiple servers to enable you to simulate networks that won't fit in a single server. And the current Mininet cluster edition has been part of Mininet, Mininet's code base for a while. Um, but its startup performance isn't as good as I'd like. And it, it, uh, it's sort of good for certain things. Uh, and it does work, but it doesn't have, you know, rapid scalability to huge, you know, many, many, many thousands of nodes. Been working on improvements to that. Showed some at SIGCOM last year. Uh, but it's, it's kind of ongoing work. On the other side, another uh, guy from uh, a university in Europe, Philip Vetta, uh, made a system. Actually, multiple people have made systems built on Mininet uh, that stitch it together into a distributed uh, network simulation running across multiple servers. And I'd say this his MaxiNet is perhaps the system that is most mature and has, has been used in various courses. But um, but uh, it's still going to be part of Mininet proper. We're not going to merge MaxiNet in, I don't think. Uh, probably going to evolve Mininet's existing cluster edition. So, but what I what I wanted to demo at SIGCOM was kind of sixteen thousand nodes, you know, switch size, switch and host size networks. Um, unfortunately, the you know wasn't able to get it to work as uh, to work reliably. It's still work in progress. You know, I could boot it up, but sometimes it wouldn't work. And you really want it to be reliable if lots of people are using it. So I can't can't quite promote that yet. But for small networks and for just geographically distributed networks, which is a really neat a neat issue. Uh, it's, it's really easy to add delay to a network. It, you know, that's easy, right? But how do you subtract delay? <laughs> that's hard, right? You know, getting, getting rid of time. And so the cool thing you can do today with Mininet Cluster Edition, which is really neat, is put some of your nodes on, say, EC2 on the West Coast and some of your nodes in, like, EC2 on the East Coast. And so your, your Boston or Virginia users have lower time simply because they're closer to the nodes. And so that's how you subtract time. You can actually make a geographically distributed simulation with cluster edition. So that's kind of a neat thing. But yeah, we want to push the scalability. But I, I really argue that for most purposes, um, the network you can simulate on your, on your laptop is pretty, is, you know, of interesting size. The other thing, of course, is that your control platform has to support it. So, you know, my demo on Mininet where I make a thousand switch network, uh, connected in, uh, a 32 by 32 mesh, uh, you know, so, so it's a, it's, or sorry, not a mesh, a torus actually. So it's a grid that wraps around. And so toruses are one of my favorite network topologies. They're really great. They have this neat thing where like, you know, the, there are lots of paths. There's no shortest path and they all wrap around. They're all sort of equidistant in some sense. Uh, you know, from, if they're on, if you're on opposite sides of the, of the earth. Uh, and it turns out most controller platforms, I'm sorry to say, including Onus, don't deal well with a thousand node Taurus topology. So this makes me happy in some sense, which it says that, well, it should make me unhappy as a Nonus developer, but it makes me happy as a Mininet developer, which it says that I can make a Mininet network on my laptop that melts most existing OpenFlow controllers. So that says that we have pretty good scalability, at least for the current state of uh, network operating systems and OpenFlow controllers. 
I've heard of network simulators before, and, and maybe this is uh, maybe this goes back to your uh, point earlier about simulators versus emulators. But the one that comes up a lot uh, is is NS3. Where does that fall in the, the spectrum, and how does it compare? I guess to, to many yeah. Of so NS that's a really interesting question. So you know, if you look at the evolution of NS3 from like NS2, you know, originally it was a pure simulator that ran purely in virtual time. And stuff can take an arbitrarily long time to run. And that's really cool in a way, because you can do arbitrary amounts of computation. You can have a radio network and simulate, have complex physical models that, that calculate wave propagation. You can have cycle-accurate simulations that, that um, give you very detailed timing diagrams. That's super great. Uh, turns out NS3 realized, recognized the same thing everybody else knows, which is that simulation's good, but... Wouldn't it be great for simulation ran in real time? So you could connect it to, you could have real users typing at it, you could connect it to the outside world, you could connect real hardware. And interestingly enough, uh, NS3 basically adopted a Mininet-like approach for, so you can run NS3 in emulation mode. Uh, but anyway, they, they basically realized the same thing. Use Linux containers, use Python, make an emulator, super useful. So I haven't used NS3 in emulation mode, but, but I think I felt sort of, you know, on one hand, they're a competitor to Mininet, but on the other hand, I felt vindicated because all the ideas I had in Mininet were perhaps discovered or independently discovered and implemented by NS3. So, so if you use NS3, which I think is a fine system, yeah, I encourage you to check out its, its emulation mode because I think it's a really good idea and very, very Mininet-like. But NS3 has way more developers than Mininet ever had and actual budget and, and stuff, so I'm, kind of, I'm a bit jealous. But it's, it's a good system. I like NS3. That, so that's an interesting point to bring up. Uh, how, how how many people work on Mininet, and uh, what kind of uh, development process is it? Do you take pull requests? How, how do people get involved? Mininet's a largely community driven community driven project. Although I sort of am the you know benevolent dictator of Mininet, along perhaps with with uh, you know Brian and some of the other Mininet principals. Uh, you know, unfortunately, this is difficult because, you know, my time's kind of maxed out. So perhaps it's something I'd like to involve in the future. But basically, yeah, um, people send in pull requests. We're, we're host, we, many net developments hosted on GitHub. Uh, we don't have a formal release schedule. It just gets, you know, released when it's released. Um, and it's one of those interesting things that there's this paradox where I'd like to, ex where we'd like to accept code for Mininet, but most of the submissions are not of acceptable quality. And so I, I find that, you know, most of the things, you know, I'll, I'll comment on people about it and, you know, they'll submit a code and I'll make a comment and I'll never hear from them again and, or stuff just isn't, isn't really ready for prime time. And so I'd say there's a very small number of contributions that can really, that I consider really acceptable in terms of, uh, you know, having adequate sort of quality and design. And some people are good about, you know, having an ongoing conversation like, um, like Rich Lane of, of, uh, uh, Big Switch was great, for example, uh, you know, and, uh, or Andrew Ferguson, formerly Brown, now at Google, was, was great about, you know, having ongoing dialogue. So I think, you know, as, as a contributor to Mininet, you know, it'll be most effective to, you know, to maintain this dialogue that with um, other developers and with me and with feedback on, on GitHub. But I definitely would like to see more contributions to Mininet. If Bob, you gave a, a talk at the last Open vSwitch conference uh, about Mininet and, and Open vSwitch, and uh, you spent a few minutes talking about uh, performance. So uh, you, you've talked a little bit about performance already today, but, but one of the things you brought up uh, there 
was that startup with OVSDB is, is slow, and I've forgotten what you uh, what you meant by that. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, this, this is always interesting. I mean, yeah, I feel like you know, depending on whether what people are familiar with with you know, maybe we should have actually just talked about what MiniNet is, so people have some point of reference. Uh, didn't actually just sort of jumped right in on things, but I'll, I'll try to answer your question. So yeah, the, the problem with um, so the interesting thing is that you know I, I think the OVSDB core you know maybe uh, you know is, is probably an excellent piece of code, but unfortunately the way MiniNet inter- so we sort of had a choice with MiniNet how do we interact with OVSDB, and one person actually went to the effort of implementing the OVSDB protocol in MiniNet and sort of submitted it as a pull request. And that actually would have been the probably most effective way to deal with OVSDB, to interact with it. But I sort of didn't like it because I felt that, you know, having a huge amount of code just to handle OVSDB just didn't seem like the right design for MiniNet. And because, you know, it sort of, you know, added a huge amount of switch-specific code into the MiniNet code base proper. So what we ended up doing instead was talking OVSDB using OVSVSCuttle the command line command for talking to it. And, uh, you know, originally starting with, you know, single commands and, you know, then realizing, well, you know, maybe we should just put it all together in one command line for as big as a command line as we can make on Linux, like two megabytes or something. <laughs> and uh, so a big command line to set up, you know, all your ports. And it, it kind of turns out that OBS VS Code seems to, see its performance seems to degrade linearly. Uh, based on the size of your database, and I haven't looked at the code for OBSVS Kittle, but my suspicion is that it like reads the whole database in, you know, modifies it, and then writes it out. And so that would sort of imply that the performance sort of is going to degrade linearly, and you're going to get this n squared thing when you have multiple OBS commands. You can imagine, you know, add one port, add another port. I'm adding 1,500 ports, and by the time I get to the end, it's it's gotten terribly slow. And so that's that was sort of the main uh, kind of the main issue with, with Open vSwitch, well, actually that's one important issue with, with Open vSwitch startup is that OVS VS Cuddle doesn't seem to interact efficiently with OVSDB and have, you know, quick, you know, in, to add just one port to a 1500 port chassis switch, it seems to take a long time. And it seems to take longer the more ports there are. Um, so it seems to me that perhaps we just need to fix OVS VS Cuddle and so that it interacts efficiently with OVSDB. But I don't know enough about the design of either of either piece of software to to say that that's exactly true. That's just my kind of hypothesis based on uh, speculation and its behavior. Well, that, that's possible. We have to look into it a, a little bit more. Are the bulk of those commands probably ones to add ports? Add ports and bridges. Add ports and bridges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so think of it. Around. So, yeah. So think. So, MiniNet is a you know a um, virtual infrastructure orchestration program that creates a lot of. Um, a lot of, you know, containers as say network namespaces for hosts and creates a lot of OVS bridges, if you will. And then also starts up some controllers and configures the OVS instances so they, they all connect to the controllers using OpenFlow. And um, <clears throat> so for a lar- for a network, say, of, you know, you're going to need to create all those bridges and create all the ports on them. And you might imagine, well, what if I want to create a big switch, a, you know, a large switch, a chassis switch that has like 1,500 ports or something, or a large network that has like 1,500 switches or something. There are sort of a lot of things that need to be added into OVSDB, right? You know, and uh, that's kind of that's kind of the issue. And so what I discovered is that you know things work pretty well up to about like kind of 200 switches or you know 
200 to 1,000 ports or something like that. But then when you get beyond that, it just kind of became kind of slow. And so my, my patch, my hack solution that I implemented is just running multiple OVSDB instances and put like 50 on this one, 50 switches on this one, 50 switches on this one. And that actually helped things out, although it's still slower than I'd like. So that's one issue with Mininet startup is this OVS startup. And I think it's entirely, it's almost entirely OVSDB. But there may be issues in the Linux kernel as well. And the other part of Mininet startup that has nothing to do with exactly with OVS uh, is creating uh, virtual Ethernet pairs. For some strange reason, this is something I'd really like to fix, or I'd like help with fixing it, if you're a kernel hacker or have any insight into this, is uh, it seems that creating virtual Ethernet pairs is really slow. And I don't know whose fault that is. Like, I'm using uh, IP, uh, I'm using uh, IP Route 2 to create them, which, you know, talks to the kernel using Netlink. And uh, it doesn't seem to do a whole lot. So my take is that it seems to be a slow operation in the Linux kernel, and I don't know why. Uh, you know, and my guess is that probably I'm just doing something that nobody, most of the Linux kernel developers don't normally do on a day-to-day -day basis, which is create hundreds or thousands of virtual Ethernet links. You know, in some sense, I'm, you know, it should be, it's always great to me when you, a system is used for something that it probably wasn't intended for, you know. I don't know if you thought of using OVS as a network emulator and making lots of instances and wiring them together to virtual, virtual network. Maybe you did, but most people don't do that, probably. Similarly, I think the developers of virtual Ethernet links and Linux kernel probably didn't have this use case in mind where you have many, many thousands of them. Of course, we're seeing more and more of this, especially with container systems, right? And, well, oh, and heaven help us, OpenStack. If you've looked at OpenStack's traditional, you know, original kind of implementation of networking, it was a, a maze of twisty little passages, packages, or just little, Maze of twisty little passages, all alike, where it had, you know, hundreds of namespaces with with all these IP tables rules and, and EB tables. It was it was like utterly baffling if you tried to tried to examine how it worked. I think they've improved that significantly since then. But um, but for in general, I think it's a use case that probably they don't test a lot. And that actually brings out another interesting use of Mininet, which is uh, so Mininet's part of Ubuntu, which is really great. I thank James Page and. Uh, as a canonical developer and, and Big Switch for helping spearhead this and make this happen. Big Switch wanted Mininet in Ubuntu so that it would be easier for floodlight developers to develop because they'd have a platform. Uh, and it's, it's really great and, and exciting that that was able, that was able to happen. Um, they actually, and possibly the Debian developers as well, um, they actually run Mininet to test Open vSwitch to do an end to end system level test. And, which I think is a really, you know, obviously it's, it's what Mininet's used for. It's, end-to-end -end system level testing of network systems. Uh, it creates a virtual network and you can run real traffic across it from real applications. People ask me like, how do I generate traffic on Mininets? Like, well, the answer is however you like. It's Linux, you know, like you can run real applications. You can run a web server and a web client. You can run Apache or the Python web server or, or Nginx on one side. You can run curl or Firefox or, you know, whatever on the other side. Favorite video chat application. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You I mean, can we, run distributed system software. Right. We run like VLC. I mean, it's, it's bizarre to me that this actually works, but it just is a tribute to uh, the power of modern semiconductors is that you can run video across your Mininet network and it, it actually works. It's amazing. Also, caching helps. Uh, another thing that was in your talk uh, last year was that you mentioned that uh, the P4 might be useful. So to draw this a little bit more toward a close, what are you working on now, uh, Brian, uh, in, in Mininet, or what would you like to, to see uh, to happen? Um, that, that's a good question. Uh, and this sort of gets back to, to the point that Bob made earlier, which is uh, most of, almost all of my time these days is spent on Hanos, unfortunately. 
Um, for, well, for, fortunately for, for us, for, unfortunately for, for, for me. Yeah. 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 Um, there, there's a couple. What's the problem? Zero sum, like yeah, yeah. Of your time. Hundred percent of your time on us. The other hundred percent on Minnie Net, probably. <laughs> yeah. um, but I mean, the things that I'd like to see with, with Minnie Net um, are uh, the expansion of, of cluster edition um, and, and improved stability of cluster edition, because uh, ultimately, you know, you can get hundreds or, or even thousands of switches and hosts on a single machine. But as Bob said, nothing comes for free. You're still limited by the CPU and memory of that machine. And so if you want to run complicated applications or, or do real distributed testing, um, you need more hardware than, than fits in a single box. So I, th I think Cluster Edition is definitely um, a killer app, more or less. Um, the other thing which I think would be kind of cool, uh, and, and this is work that was started maybe a year, year and a half ago, and, and it's largely stalled, um, is the ability to do more simulation type things in MiniNet to, to dilate time uh, so that you can run 10 gig, 100 gig uh, links across uh, a bigger network so that you can, you can simulate the effect of, of, um, of running pipes that are, that are bigger than, than a single hardware machine can, can deal with. One more cool thing that, that we've been working on that's, that's particularly relevant when you're de uh, developing a distributed network operating system is the ability to model the control network. So typically in Mininet, you have a, a single controller or maybe a few controllers that you manage independently, and then they run on a Mininet data plane, um, or they control a Mininet data plane. And, and one of the things that we'd like to do is, is create this uh, larger scope network where you have the data plane network controlled by Mininet and a control plane network that's controlled by Mininet, where you can add things like loss and delay, uh, tear down links in the control plane network, and do, uh, do better testing of how the data plane and control plane uh, react to different sorts of failures. Great. So uh, is there anything else that either of you would like to make sure that the listeners know? So one, one thing I wanted to sort of go back to is this, um, you asked the question of, you know, how is MiniNet different than simulators? You know, how is it different than ways people do emulation? And I think where MiniNet sits um, is, is one of the things in typical emulation environments, you set up Docker containers or you set up LXCs, um, you usually have a relatively static configuration or static testbed that has relatively simplistic networking. And one of the really cool things about Mininet is that uh, the topology is specified in Python, and all of the components can be programmed uh, at runtime in Python as well. So if you want to orchestrate an experiment that uses a complex topology, um, you can parameterize that topology, you can parameterize your experiments, um, and you can orchestrate things end-to-end, uh, -end, which makes them, it makes Mininet really well suited for building test cases, um, and also for kind of like um, programming the, the test case that you, that you tested originally by hand. And where this kind of improves on, on simulators is that you don't have to recompile your applications to get them to work. If they run on Linux, they, they run in Mininet, and you can orchestrate them using, using Python commands. So. Yes, so what, I, what I'd like to people to know is, uh, you know, so many people view the network as something, you, you know, that's just there and you can't change and it's so hard to get started. How do I redesign the internet? How do I even, you know, redesign my office network or my home network? So the goal of Mininet is really to empower everybody to redesign the 
any network they can imagine, you know, be it the internet, be it your enterprise network, be it your home network, uh, with the simple resources that you already have, which is probably a laptop or, you know, who knows, maybe an iPad and an EC2 instance or something, you know, uh, you know, your phone connected, you know, connected via VNC to, to a Google Cloud uh, instance or something. Uh, you know, it's, it's designed to be a really low cost of entry uh, into the world, into being able to change the way computers communicate and humans communicate uh, with each other. And so it's, it's really designed to empower students, to empower pe amateurs, hobbyists, uh, people who uh, are professionals in the computer systems and industry, people who aren't, people who are just interested in it, uh, people who want to learn about, and people, I really believe in education for everybody. You know, the internet is this thing where we have, you know, where anybody can get information from anywhere that anyone who has access to YouTube can watch, or Khan Academy can watch all these really awesome videos and learn all sorts of things. And so, you know, if you have a laptop that can run uh, a virtual machine monitor, such as VirtualBox or KVM or VMware or Hyper-V, anything really, um, that can load a standard uh, standard VM image. We we ship a. Uh, you can download a Mininet uh, OVA, the standard, you know, uh, I guess VMware and others defined uh, VM format. You can download it and run it, and uh, you get a virtual network on your laptop. You know, almost instantly in a couple seconds. Uh, you know, for for dirt cheap. And I really, I, it is my hope that this is really empowering technology and, and, uh, you know, helps people learn and helps people really make the world a better place. Because that's something that I think people forget about in computer systems is the end goal. And I just saw, I mean, you saw Giannis's talk at the, the P4 or the SDN day, uh, where, <clears throat> where Giannis Yukimis was talking about, um, a system where, uh, people, users could press a button in their browser to prioritize their traffic. And the, but the, the main idea, which is great, and it's part of Google's uh, access point, was it Google on? Um, on Hub. Yeah, yeah, which is nice. It's, it's really neat. You can have an Android app where you can say, oh, well, I'm, I want to give priority Netflix or I want to not give priority Netflix so it won't mess up something else I'm doing that's more important. Uh, but the whole, the basic idea here is that, wow, what if networking companies started listening to the users? Wouldn't that be great? Well, I think that's good for like sort of computer systems as a whole. Listening to the users is really valuable. And also thinking, taking a step back and thinking, well, how does what we do really benefit people? And my goal with Mininet is to benefit people who want to learn and about and do things with networking, but help them to make things better for everyone. And I guess the end thing that I want everybody to know is that Mininet.org is the Mininet official website, and you can just go there and check it out, find out information. There's documentation. There's uh, information on how to contribute different ways from just submitting bug reports to uh, helping with the documentation to submitting uh, pull requests. The code's hosted on GitHub, but also on code.mininet.org uh, gets you to it. And so it's an open source project, and it's free. It's BSD license. You know, people in your company will like it. Uh, so I encourage everyone to to check out Mininet, and also to uh, to talk with us on the Mininet mailing list. That's how much communication happens with the Mininet community. So I encourage everyone who's interested at all in this to check it out and give it a try. And for people who work with uh, who develop software switches uh, like you, Ben, I I hope I've convinced you that that network emulation is an awesome application of software switches. It's really great. And, uh, and I really appreciate the work that everyone, all the OBS contributors have done to um, make a great piece of software that we can use for network emulation. Well, that's a lot of great information for everybody and telling people how to get to the project. Do you, either of you want to let people know how to get in contact with you? My email is brian at onlab.us.
frankly, if you join the MiniNet mailing list, I post to it all the time, so you can just you can email me. But I encourage you not to email me personally, because at least with a MiniNet question, because I think it's so much more valuable. Um, I mean, you can you know send me personal stuff on my personal email, but but I encourage people to write send questions to the list um, for two reasons. One is it makes my life easier and unburdens me from a huge deluge of email. But the more important reason is that it's really beneficial for other people to see the questions that people are asking and the answers that people give to them. And also to give the community a, a chance to answer questions. And I may not always have the best answer for something. Somebody else might. And if you just send it to me, you won't get that answer. So, so yeah. So chat with us on the Minionet mailing list is really what I, what I recommend. Although you can also send, send, uh, send stuff to me. I'm on the list. I, I post to it frequently. That's the same advice I give about uh, Open View Switch and emailing me directly. You'll get better support on the mailing list. Yep. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks to both of you for talking to me for such a long time. I'm sure that the listeners will enjoy it. OVS Orbit is edited and produced by Ben Pfaff using Audacity audio editing software and released under the Creative Commons unported 3.0 license. The intro music in this episode is Drive by Alex Barroza, the bumper is Yeah Ant by Speck, and the outro is Space Bazooka by Kirkwood. All of the music is also licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 unported license. For more information about OpenVSwitch and OVS Orbit, please visit openvswitch.org.